Welcome everybody to The Outside Edge, a podcast of extreme people that live extreme lives. I'm your host, Dave Briscoe. Joined by my happy-fingered friend, Mikey Lee. Hello, everyone. I say happy-fingered because he's got a board that he's added about 20 new sounds to. He's got a brand new computer. I love it. So your old computer was what? (laughs) Here we go. It's a little test run. Oh, yeah, he's got all kinds of stuff. I don't (laughs) know what the hell that last one was. That's whenever you mess yourself in your seat. Oh, that's like it. when you get excited about a guest, you know what I mean? Uh, that's it. That's oh. your snail trail. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we got We're a new computer. It's unbelievable. <laughs> so we really need Patreons more than any time now because Mike just went out and spent money. How old was your old computer? It was 11 years old. 11 years old. Yeah, it, it, it was time. It, it was time. It was good, but it was time. So now he's got this new uh, Mac. What is this thing? It's, a, it's an iMac with all of the bells and whistles. Wow. Essentially. Yeah. So it's doing all the new cool stuff, but it's a relearning curve. And uh, so now he that's why I'm so happy about his fingers. Yeah, <laughs> they are happy fingers for sure. Right. So what's going on, man? What's new? Uh, not a whole lot for me, man. I'm just uh, like bars are reopening on Friday. Right. That's huge. That's a big deal. That's right? a huge, is huge a, deal. Now, is it? Yeah, because restaurants were 25 percent then they went to 50. Right. And now, but the bars couldn't be open because of food. They didn't right. serve food. They didn't serve food. But now they're allowing the bars to open at 50% on the inside, full capacity on the outside. Oh, wow. So if you have a bar that has a nice patio or whatever, you can seat everybody. I think they still have to maintain the social distancing so the tables have to be, you know, so far apart. Yeah. But on the inside, 50% capacity. So um, you're still going to have groups of 50 or more people. I mean, wow. if you think about a, a small bar will hold at least 100 people. So now it's down to 50 people. Still going to be big groups. I'm a little bit worried about it only because I know that once people get out and start drinking and having a good time, the whole social distancing thing is going to go out. The well, I, yeah, but look at the rioting, right? I mean, I was thinking about that the other day. Everybody's been so strict about the social distancing. But now with this rioting thing, like it is completely. Oh, yeah. It's oblivious. What did you hear about the uh, the. Minnesota uh, sheriff's deputy, or or maybe it was a National Guard member, I think, right. um, who contracted COVID-19 after wrangling up protesters. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And so you see people out there. Some of them are wearing masks. Some of them aren't. Yeah. And, and you know, am- amongst all of this, which I agree that, that what that cop did uh, to George Floyd was absolutely awful. Yeah. I don't agree with the looting and the burning down of buildings. Yeah. But the protests are absolutely 100% founded. Uh, but they're not, everybody's just doesn't even care about the pandemic. You got to remember, we still have a pandemic going I know on it. during all of this. I know it. So 2020 right now can go to hell. I'm ready for 2021. Let's get this year over with as yeah. quick as possible. All right. I know it. You know what? If I was a business owner now, I would just put bags of COVID-19. I'd label them. They might not have anything in them, but yeah, I would yeah. label these bags are full of COVID-19. Yeah. Help yourself break the glass. <laughs> Goodness <laughs> gracious. Go get it. So... Anyway, I got some cool news. I, uh, I I got sought out by a recruiter to uh, possibly go coach a family um, for two months. Uh, That's awesome. By yeah, the way. it's a huge deal. So yeah. um, it's uh, I'm negotiating right now with them and uh, doing everything I need to do to jump through my hoops. But it looks like that could be a gig. Nice. And uh, we'll talk later about uh, some ideas that I have. Yeah, because you're thinking of, about of, taking this show on the road. It's going to be almost like Briscoe's mobile ride school. Well, you know, there aren't many people that have and I'm not trying to blow smoke up my own ass, but there aren't many people that have the time and experience that I do in this industry. And it's not just coaching. I mean, I, I have coached every aspect on the water, but I've also went during my bus tour, if the boat broke down, I was the guy fixing it. And, 
you know, getting your oil change in a boat right now is, you know, 150 to 200 bucks. Oh, yeah. So it, it, what I want to do is go into a family. Let, let's say that you buy a boat and this price is built into your purchase of the boat. Uh-huh. You're going to get me for a week. So during that week, you can teach anybody in your family how to back uh, a boat or to right. back a trailer, how to load and unload a boat properly. Any lessons that you want on skiing across the board, you know, sure. barefoot, wakeboard, slalom, any part of it. Uh, but then clinics on docking the boat in the wind, clinics on uh, changing your oil in the boat. Mm-hmm. And, and kind of a broad one week, you get your boat for the first time, a one week tutorial yeah. on how to really enjoy it. And I put it on Facebook and everybody's blowing up. They're like, wow, I think that's a great idea because so many people buy this $200,000 boat and they're lost. They have no idea what they're no doing. No idea what they're doing. I think and if somebody spends a $200,000 on a boat, yeah. um, they should probably already know what they're doing. <laughs> well, unfortunately, it doesn't work <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah, I know, I know. But even for a guy, let's say, that buys a, uh, like me, I would go out and buy maybe a fifteen dollars or $20,000 boat. Right. Um, but I could, I could possibly call you up and say, hey, uh, I need help. Right. I, I, I still, I, I didn't spend 200 grand, but I don't know what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> you well, know what I mean? So are you going to do, what I'm asking is, are you going to do it for anybody or do they have to buy a boat first? And it's well, I don't know yet. I'm still trying to work out the whole package of it. I think the easiest way to do it to get the fee that I want to get is we build it into the price of the boat. Okay, gotcha. You know, and then people don't feel like they're spending really any money. Lot, it's built into money, their yeah. financing. It's built in everywhere else. But the beauty of it is so many people buy boats and they don't know what to do. They look at YouTube videos. They go out, they get their kids behind the boat. Yeah. And it's loaded with weight. They got the best new board. The kid hits the wake for the first time and he, he eats shit. Yeah, yeah. You know, catches an edge and he's done. Yeah, and, yeah. And then that... And he's like, well, this isn't fun. This, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, yeah. And the parents just spent all this money. So if they can at least bring somebody in that can give everybody a good experience, yeah. now you've got a chance for your kid to climb that ladder sure. and get into extreme athlete you know, level that right. that I climbed into and, and, and I coached a lot of people into. Right I don't think there's anybody in the planet that's coached more pro riders to that level than I have. Well, there it is. There's so, the challenge. So if you yeah. think you've got Dave beat, uh, send us an email. Yeah. There go. <laughs> yeah so speaking of extreme people, I, I got an exciting um, guest that's going to come on today. Now, you know, we, we, told you all along from the beginning that this podcast is really about people that like to live on the outside edge and people that have done extreme things. And uh, we're stepping out of water skiing today and we're going into the sport of hockey, which is my my second favorite love. But uh, the gentleman I'm going to bring on today, 17 years professional hockey. Uh, He had 28 pro teams that he played for. He's had over 200 hockey fights, 300 amateur unlicensed fights. He uh, head striking coach now at Fusion XL MMA Team Development. He, he's that. Sorry, let me rephrase that. Fusion XL MMA Team Developmental Coach with well over a hundred students. Uh, best students have been rated some of the top ten in the country. So he's gone from his extreme sports. He's done it all, and now he's making a living out of coaching people how to do it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, Mike Scroy. <laughs> Mikey, what's shaking, brother? Not too much, bud. Happy to be on, man. Right on. How many fist fights have you been in? 500 plus. <laughs> Competitive. <laughs> Competitive. We don't, count, we don't count the old school street fighting for back in the day. So. Right, Competitive right. Competitive fights in a ring or cage or a, or a hockey rink. 
uh, 500 plus. Well, let's go, let's go back and explain because, uh, you know, some of our podcasters don't know hockey as well as actually it's, it's, it's funny. A lot of them do because there's a lot of wakeboarders that do cross over to hockey, but we do have some of the audience out there that doesn't get it. So let's go back first to how you started in hockey and how your love grew for the game and at what age? Well, I was right from the top, so I'm I'm Canadian, so my my pops put me in at a very very young age, and right off the hop, I was oh. I was I fell in love with it. So. Uh, really fast before you go on, I just want you to know that's ham. It's called ham. What's that? I want you said you're Canadian. I want you to know that's ham. Canadian ham. ham. Over, it's not it's not Canadian <laughs> Canadian bacon. Oh, oh Canadian. wow! I lost yeah, everybody. I'll just go over here in the yeah, corner and shut up. Me. <laughs> There's no, uh, I was, I was Western Canada too. So everywhere that you see basketball courts and, and football fields and whatnot, you know, in, in your neighborhoods in America, those are all outdoor hockey rinks in Calgary, Alberta, and the Northern uh, provinces. So, uh, you know, that's, that's just the one there's that. And then there's fighting. So those the two things that you can do if you're, if you're from Northern Canada. Right. So, um, you know, I, I played my entire life, uh, jumped around a ton. Um, my father moved around a lot and, um, so I played juniors in a whole bunch of different cities and uh, ended up when I met you, man, I was 13, 14 years old. I believe when I moved down to Orlando, Florida yep. and met the legendary Dave Briscoe and we, we hit it off right from the holiday, but <laughs> yeah, we did. We did too. It's funny. Mikey was uh God, I think he was taller than me then at 13, which isn't a huge feat, but uh, right, right. No, I was six. I was six one at 13. Really. Yeah. Holy she's crazy. Moly. Yeah. <laughs> so he's playing on our men's league and we had, we had a couple guys out there that have played high end hockey. We had Ray Kerr, who has played a few games in the show? Uh, I think he played for Boston, didn't he? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Philadelphia. He, he, oh, Philadelphia. We had a couple of really, really solid guys out there. Yeah. And Philadelphia, he was back in the day of the Broad Street Bullies, wasn't he? Yep. Yeah. He's, he's one of the guys that helped teach me how to fight on the ice. Yeah. It was Ray Kerpus. Yeah. Can you explain for a guy who I, I love hockey? I actually got into hockey, um, I don't know, it was a couple of years ago. I was a bandwagon fan of the Lightning. It was, uh, they were, they were doing great. I mean, I've never, and I'll be honest, I've, well, let me take that back. I do have a story about the first time I watched hockey. I went to a a semi-pro game in Oklahoma city and we were watching the fights and we were cursing up a storm. Like, yeah, you know, blank, get him, get a kick his ass, you know, all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And the uh, people behind me handed me a church pamphlet and said, (laughs) if you need anything, (laughs) all all types in it. In a hockey ring, bro. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but what what I was going to ask you? Oh, go ahead. A lot of people I can make the parallel to football, yeah, in the states, but even more so than that in hockey, where they've just completely taken out our role. There was a professional fighter on every single team, uh-huh. professional heavyweight on every single team, sometimes two, and you had a middleweight, and you had a good core of the group that that you know could get eight to ten fights a year um when i was growing up and now you're lucky if your top guy on the the squad has eight fights you know wow Uh, it's it's you know my my top year was 37 i believe so uh, i mean the the times have drastically changed with that there is no more enforcer or hockey fighting position anymore so some people may be confused so uh, if they don't know them well yeah well i had no idea at all that there used to be a professional fighter on every team i had yeah i had no idea Uh, but what what is the what is the purpose was it just so that you could have a boxing match in the middle of a game just for the entertainment value or what no no well the number one as a professional so when you're when you're younger you're you're you know you're establishing yourself but we're talking about a professional heavyweight on a team Um, a lot of times those guys don't get great ice time but your number one goal is to protect the assets of the team so you know hockey 
used to be extremely dangerous, a little soft for my taste now, but, uh, you know, you're five foot eight guy coming in from France or Russia or wherever, and they're skilled guys, you know, uh, playing against six foot four defensemen, they can get roughed up a little bit and sometimes some dirty shit can happen. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, so I, if I see that and you know, you, you go take care of that right away. So that's, that's the first order of business. Second order of business is, you know, doing the same thing to the other team, you know, their best players and you want to try to make a physical, uh, uh momentum swift, you know, switch in the, in the game. You're really trying to look for that. Um, you know, trying to make a, a statement physically to the other team's players, because, you know, people, I, I love having this argument with people when they talk about, uh, you know, anything non-contact, being one of the toughest sports to play. Oh my God, it's so hard to hit a baseball or to do this or to hit a tennis ball. Like, yeah, if you're, if you're doing that and then you have somebody like me trying to take your, your head off, uh, (laughs) then, then, then there's an element of skill and, you know, of difficulty. That's just not, you don't, you don't understand it unless you, unless you deal with it. Well, let's Um, even back up. Let's, let's even back up and talk about the hockey is on, on a whole as a sport. So yeah, if you go back to, and you watch some of the greats, you know, like Gordy Howe, and Bobby Orr and back in the day you know this game you're getting up to 30 miles an hour Mm -hmm. okay you're moving there's no out of bounds okay there's no out of bounds in hockey right right the pucks it hits the wall it's back and you're always in play it's one of the only games that you go from offense to defense 10 times in one minute yeah sure (laughs) right it it consists consistently transition is that yeah transition it's unbelievable so the right you got you have basically you have two referees on the ice and then the other two referees, they're not really referees, they're linesmen. So they're calling offsides, icing. The other two guys are only there to watch penalties, okay? Yes. Mm-hmm. They can't see it all. There's, you're 30 miles yeah. an hour. Yeah. Half the time, they're ducking. You know, yeah. The play's going so fast, they're trying to get the hell out of the way. So they don't see everything that happens. So if something bad happens on the ice, the only way you keep the guy on the other team from doing that again is by enforce standing up for yourself, basically. Right. You know, if a guy gives me a, a cheap shot or a cheap hook and the ref doesn't call it, you know, he's going to do it again. Yeah. So if I don't stand up, uh, it's going to happen again. Now, back in the let's, day, let's make something. Let's make something very clear. You were the antagonizer. So that was usually you doing the cheap stuff. I was. I was. I was the guy. <laughs> You're a little guy. You're was, getting oh, a, little, yeah. a little kneecap. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 they call me Brisquito when, um, oh, when I was man. on the ice. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. So, so to play against. Ah, that's <laughs> yeah. Great. yeah, I was that guy. But you know, it, it, but so when Mikey was thirteen, the, the great thing about hockey is, first of all, it's a team sport. You know, in yeah. wakeboarding, if you screw up you're done you're you know if you got down and back and if you screw up you're done but on the ice if you screw up you have a chance for somebody else to make up your mistake yeah or for you to get back out the next shift and make it up so you're yep. always trying to figure out your role on the ice so that's what i want to get back to mikey when you were 13 and you're skating with us and you're trying to figure out your role yep from team to team talk about that for a minute well i was raised there you know I was a pretty good hockey player um, all the way through. I've, uh, for a fighter, I've, I've had a, a ton of points. Actually, at 13, I wasn't quite yet a fighter. I was, I was kind of searching that out on my own. But um, that's very, very difficult. Uh, unlike yeah, you had unlike, wheels at 13. You you had wheels yeah, and you're six one. Yeah, I mean, I, I have some pro points for you, you. You look at the guy. I mean, I had a college scholarship to Division One school. I mean, he, there's no fighting in, in, in university. I didn't. You know, so right. There's a, but, but once you talk about your your, it changes every year because you have to look at your worth on a team and then adapt. Hockey is such a the sport is developing as the play is developing. It's such a real time sport that um, 
you know, if you don't understand your role on a team um, and the ability for your role to change when you're out there, then you're you're pretty useless. Right. So if you're if you're supposed to be a physical you know, attribute to a team and intimidating attribute to a team. And you're out there trying to dangle and score goals that, uh, that could work against you if you're good, which it actually did happen to me. I had to learn the hard way a few times. Right. So it's, it's like a bunch of, it would be like a bunch of positions mashed into one. You have to have, you have to have some idea of what you're on the team for. And then as you get older and as you get put into to bigger and better teams and better positions, that may change. Like most guys that are role players in the NHL, most of their lives were the best players on their team and had to adjust once they got to a team. Oh shit. I'm not the best guy on the ice anymore. Now I have to, now I have to, I have to either go the instigator or yeah, I have to go or yeah, or, or defensive forward or use my skills to do something there. You have to find out what, you know, what the team needs and then sort of mold to that position. Yeah. So, it's funny because I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in my fifties now and I'm playing men's league and I, you know, the only thing I ever had was speed and mm-hmm. that's why I was good at being an instigator. But now that the speed's gone, you know, <laughs> it's like, holy shit, I gotta, I gotta remember how to pass the puck again yeah. and how to stick handle. You're getting at an age where speed's that's not going to be the problem. Be smarter as you get older, just oh. like yeah, you you're gonna pretty soon yeah. you're gonna have a problem getting your stick up that's the real problem yeah <laughs> so far so good there mikey <laughs> i might take another few more years for that yeah yeah <laughs> the heart's still strong <laughs> and it's a lot closer to the stick <laughs> yeah but so yeah and that, then as you got older so you're 13 when we really met and uh, you know i was probably 22 years old at the time and I was show skiing and blah, blah, blah. And the main reason I wanted to bring you on is because as you advance and you were starting to look at going places and having a chance to make it, you know, and make money in hockey, that's when I was in the X Games. And I really remember, yep. you you know, you were learning your skills, but then you wanted to get the mental game. And that's when you kind of, I don't know, you may, maybe asked me a couple of questions. I tucked you under my wing the best I could with my knowledge. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that transition. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's the most important part. I mean, that's the mental. I mean, it's it sounds kind of cliche. It's ninety percent mental, but it really is. There's there's love for what you're doing, and when you love something, then you then you pay attention to the details. And if you're doing something that's scary as hell, like like what you've done and what extreme sports guys do and fighting and crazy contact sports like rugby and hockey and boxing, you know, if you don't figure out the, the mental part of it, you're either a flash in the pan, you'll be there for a year or two, or you just won't make it. Or you'll get hurt or something screwed up will happen to you. Having, right. having longevity in these dangerous sports uh, requires intense mental training um, and, and, and just just really a, a mindset and mental toughness. Um, and a lot of people that, you know, so a lot of people that have done my job, I, I had good parents and they had, they had some money and a lot of people that have done my job and they come from, you know, different backgrounds than me because they've known hunger. They've, they, at one point in their, their lives, they've known that they don't know where their next meal is coming from. Right. And that little thing plays in their head. Um, and they can use that. So they'll use that. And then there's some people that are just born to love to compete i'm not a, i'm not an evil guy i'm not a mean guy i've never been like super poor and and hungry to fight for my next meal or anything like that i just absolutely love to fight and i love to compete at the hardest things in the world and and that's the catalyst the, you know that's the mindset that i used to build that mental toughness and obviously i have to have some good role models and whatnot. right and so when did you learn that so you're a talented player as a teen you know you're 13 you're 15 you're coming into when did you first make the move to 
from youth hockey, men's league hockey, skating with us, what was the first break into the journey of to make it to pro? When I first got my first hair on my balls. <laughs> Puberty. <laughs> Puberty. Puberty changed things around. Well, that was your mental uh, game, but what, what, what was, who did you play for? Like, who did you go? That was Tertali. So my, I have a mentor. And uh, you remember me as, as, you know, I had a little bit of talent, obviously, but I was a troubled youth a little bit. You know, I was a little angry, didn't know where to, where to put all the fire and the passion. Right. Uh, and I ran into, uh, I ran into my, my now to be, going to be the best man of my wedding this year. Um, you know, uh, his name is Tony Curtali. He was my coach and he, he saw, he saw what no one else did. I mean, people thought he, they, they were, he was absolutely crazy for, for taking me under his wing and bringing me on a national championship team with, with the, the crazy, angry, wild stuff I used to do. And he just channeled that right. into 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 being an aggressive player and a, and a fighter and a hockey player. So it was that was the big that was the, it was channeling my anger, my passion, my fire is what he did for me. And what was it the first time? So the first time you get in that situation and you got to drop the gloves. And uh, talk about that. I mean, the heart beating a thousand miles an hour. It was right? wild. I didn't realize that I was fighting one of the, and that was that was why he kept me. I didn't realize it was an exhibition game. He wasn't sure if he was going to keep me. And I, I, the guy was actually a little bit shorter than me, but he was twenty. He was twenty years old, and I was sixteen. And that's a big jump uh, yeah. to fight somebody. You know, yeah, you're fighting a man. You're a kid fighting a man. Yeah, a man. yeah I, was I was about to say, how is that even kid. legal? <laughs> well, yeah, well, welcome to hockey. So. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, he 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 crap, you know. So this is a really kind of a funny story. He, he smashed me, and I, I I woke up, I woke up on the trainer's table getting zippered up. He was a lefty, didn't know that. It would have been oh, nice. Oh yeah, whoops. So I wake up on the training table, and I got the iodine and the patch over. And they're stitching me up, like my, I can't even see out of my eye. And I was like, oh, that didn't go so well. So the play was going on. You know, I was I was it was the third period. And it was almost at the end of the game. And he was one of the tougher guys in the league. And had been one of the tougher guys in the league for years. And I was like this new high school kid. These guys aren't even playing. These guys are, are graduated from high school two years, you know? Right. And uh, everyone coming in, giving me hugs and freaking out. And they're like, holy shit, we couldn't believe what you, you just whooped. I was like, I remember getting punched and falling down. So what, what happened? They put in the videotape. No clue. I got knocked down. And then I bounced back up, totally blacked out. No recollection of any of this. He kicked the living shit out of this guy. Wow. Woke up on the table, and then from there they were like, "Okay, so I guess you're gonna be a tough guy." No wow. kidding! Holy <laughs> moly! Yeah. Wow! Yeah. So yeah, yeah. so then then you move on. Was did you go? Where'd you go from there? Oh Jesus! I, I know you played uh, in Wilkesbury, <laughs> but there's there's some there's some spots in between. Yeah, that was. I mean, that was my rookie year in Danville. I played for seven or eight junior teams and then twenty eight pro teams. So we got a few stops here. <laughs> now, are you getting paid by these junior teams at the time? No, no. This is I was uh, I was trying to do the college preparatory thing because I, I I felt like at some point I could I could just show the skill that I had when I was younger. I just needed to sort of use the fighting. I loved doing it. I wasn't like oh, I needed to fight to stay on the team. Like I loved it. Right. But I figured that when it when I needed to really break in I, I could use this to solidify myself in the league and, then, and how, how old and were you when you started in the junior program uh 15 16 15, 15 so you're living in billet homes and yeah yeah, yeah. who's and dad's funding this uh 100 bucks a month so not not terribly right not terribly you know lucrative to you know you don't you don't need to pay a lot of money and if you're if you're a prospect you really don't have to pay anything so from 15 so. till what age till you started getting paid i was tw- i was 20 when i got my scholarship 19 or 20 when i got my scholarship i spent one year 
and Hockey East uh, in Division One. They did not. I uh, was 13 freshmen. I did not see a lot of playing time. Uh, asked my coach if I was gonna gonna play the next year because I wasn't there to be a scholar, and he said probably not that much. And I told him I was gonna quit and play pro. And he, he laughed at me and said, yeah, you can't make my team. How are you going to play pro within seven months? I had a Detroit Red Wings jersey on playing NHL preseason games. So Yeah. That was, the, that was the start. Might have, might have mailed him a copy of the uh, the newspaper with my, my name in it with a jersey on. Might have done that. Don't know. Attaboy. Attaboy. <laughs> who, so who gave you? Did somebody just see you in a game or did you get scouted or how did that no, happen? No, no. It was, it was my mentor. Yeah, he was he was my mentor, Curtali. I, I just bought into everything he was teaching me. Um, you know, and he called up. The, this is how much pull this guy has. He called up the Detroit Red Wings and said, yeah, this guy has played like six college games with no points bring him to camp trust me and they said okay like who does that i mean i didn't even have to call it i had zero college numbers wow zero and they go we trust you um and then i knocked out a couple of guys that end up having some pretty good nhl careers scored a bunch of goals uh in their camp and and you know ultimately didn't play for their system but made a really good account of myself for my for my uh, so talk about that a lot of listeners don't understand that either so you go to a training camp and you're a training camp for hockey now these are people that are all on the same team or eventually going to make the same team and you got to drop the gloves to prove yourself in training camp it used to be yeah because they well they wouldn't let you (laughs) they made sure that they didn't put me against the resident tough guys of that team because they don't want those guys with any extra miles on them so they'll put you on the same team as that guy and then they'll put you know they'll make sure that you know that you're only going to fight uh the guys that are looking to you know the rookies and it's changed a little bit it used to be where everybody would fight everybody now nobody fights anybody but i was right in the middle of that time where yeah i mean i was going and looking for even if, if they had if they weren't like nice to me i would i would still probably try to fight the the heavyweights on the team but you're not really supposed to it's sort of like right. walking on but there's like 60 people trying to walk on for 20 spots yeah so, so you're battling also, with those guys and, and now but also you sign a contract and you can go into any of the three leagues below with a contract so Oh, okay. So, okay. So you're signing with Detroit, but you can go into the East Coast League or the AHL. I yeah, I, I or... played for Babcock. Babcock was coaching uh, the American League, which is like AAA baseball. Yep. Um, I went down there and played, and then the AA. It's like an extended roster. Like, I hate comparing it to baseball because nobody gets hurt in baseball. If, well, they might have a hangnail or something, but right? Send them out for four months. <laughs> but 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 it's very rare that you know that the lineups get too altered in hockey. You could very easily have a halfway different lineup at the end of the season going into playoffs than you did at the start of the season. It's very, very plausible. Right. So these double-A, triple-A teams, you can get called up to the NHL from double-A if necessary, if that's the spot they're looking for. So um, you always got to stay ready. But, yeah, it's like these leagues are like extensions uh, of, of of the top teams, the right. affiliates. Right, and you're and but you're still putting the puck in the net here and there as well, and that's got to make a difference when when you got a, for some enforcers coming in strictly to enforce. Uh, how many of them in your day were still putting the puck in the net? You you'd think that would help you, eh? But remember what I was talking about roles. It hurt me. It hurt me. It hurt me dearly. Getting my two hundred points, my hat tricks, my twenty five goal seasons. It screwed me because your tenth forward. If you're a fighter. You're a tenth forward, which means there's three lines of guys, and then you're the extra guy that gets put in when physical shit needs to happen or right. something needs to get rectified. So if you're going out there, and every single shift, you're like I would go out there, I'd try to fight somebody, try to kill somebody my first shift, and then if it wasn't happening, the other guy wasn't having it, or um, then I would go to try and score goals instead of 
continuing along to pound them physically. I mean, I did that too, but it was right. I, it wavered my focus a bit. It did hurt. It hurt the way I played my position. I didn't learn that till later on. And what a transition that was, because you know you watch some of these documentaries and guys like Bobby Orr. You know, obviously Bobby Orr is my yeah. hero. I'm from Boston. Blah blah blah. Yeah. But he had to enforce himself, and and he did. You know, and that's why his career was nine years old. You know, because he he was out there trying to take care of himself. But then he did. You, but he, he did he did have a, a string of absolute animals with him. But if he felt like the challenge was an appropriate person for him, like yeah. he wasn't fighting any of the fighters. If he felt like Gordy Howe is a great example too. That guy yeah. he was fighting twenty se- twenty goal seasons. Right. They call it Gordy, Gordy Howe hat trick. Right. A fight a goal and an assist. Sure. And that's so. Yep. And, and then you transfer into, you know, the 80s and 90s where you had yep. guys like Scott Stevens and stuff that were, yep. you know, knocking people out. But yep. uh, it, Wayne Gretzky wouldn't have been Wayne Gretzky at all without Dave Simanko. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean. Absolutely. No, there's, there's no doubt. We, we give those. Crosby has a million concussions, and I still haven't figured out why they get rid of guys like Reeves and stuff. Just sitting on the bench is a massive deterrent. Those guys aren't like, oh, I wonder who they got. Like, I'm. You've been in the league for five, ten years. Everybody knows who you are. You're sitting on the bench. You screw around with the best guy on the team. You know you're going to get it. Yeah. And you know you're going to get it hard. So that, just being on the bench without even fighting is a deterrent for a lot of people understanding what the possible understanding the game. So, um, what happened? What I really do honestly think happened. I just I think people got too good at it, too big. So I'm I'm six four. I played it. You know, I played at about 240, 235, and I was, at the end of my career, I was a tiny heavyweight. Wow, tiny. isn't that like, crazy? There's no bobbing and weaving, there's no footwork. These guys are turning out to be six foot eight, six foot nine, 260, 270, 280, and they only play one or two shifts. But let me tell you something, they were ending people's careers with punches. Like, no, glo- no gloves, just grabbing somebody and just barely breaking their faces like, there was a couple Bugard, McIntyre guys. I mean, I ended up pretty good, yeah. But a lot of guys did not, and the guys were just getting to you know taking real MMA, like top quality MMA training, top quality boxing training. Like these guys were getting too good yeah. at the job. People were getting seriously hurt. Um, that's why that's why they they pulled it. You know, right, so. right. And you look at guys like Chara. I mean, Chara still to this day. I mean, he's forty two years old. Forty two. He's playing the show, and nobody can nobody can hit him because he gets a hold of you and you can't reach him. You're swinging. Yeah. You're, you're air throwing. He's, 6'11". he's a player. He's a great player too. You know, he's six eleven to eighty five, whatever he is. I mean, Good God! You know, I don't. I would never want to fight that. You can't dance around him. <laughs> yeah. If he grabs you and strings you out, you're not reaching anything, and he's gonna tee off on your face. I mean, that's. You got to sometimes. I've fought some guys that size, but, um, you know, that's that's not something you want to do. <laughs> so let me ask you this, Mike, because uh, I've been listening to all of this and, and uh, the fighting, and, and it sounds to you like obviously you're from the school where fighting is very important to the sport, uh, yeah, protecting your guy. But yeah. uh, I guess the, the, the sport is evolving, obviously, because, like you said, too many people are getting knocked out and losing careers over these fights with these huge guys. Do you think that the sport is weaker or less of a sport because of it, or do you think it's going to evolve into something yeah. better? The sport is great, and I do think that that fighting and tough guys will make a comeback, even with a, it's, it's very cyclical the way that it works out. And you can even look at it because what happens is is now it's a glorified men's league. Now, don't don't get me wrong, the skill stuff that happens in the NHL today is out of this world. It's unreal. Absolutely yeah. out of this world. Out of this world. And but nobody's hitting anybody. It's just a and it's, everyone's tired. Yeah, they know they can get away with it. It's unbelievable. And then when you see something, it's so it's so awful. Like it's like something so dirty. Like because no one is scared of any repercussions. So you have 
it's totally a worse game. It's still a great game. I love it. I watch it. My son is enamored with it. I have a million students that play hockey. Um, you know, I teach, I'm a hockey coach as well. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a great sport, but you, taking away that element, you know, it's, it's like, you know, it's like playing in a sandbox now comparatively to what they had. I mean, everyone's safety at all costs. Well, you know what? We're, we're elective. We're, this, is, this is an elective sport. You don't. If you don't want to get fucking hurt, don't play the sport, man. Go do something else. I just don't get it. I well, don't understand how people that have never played the sport want to want to set rules on grown men for making decisions. Right. I just it drives me crazy. Well, um, let let me just to play devil's advocate. Um, sure. Isn't there also something to being able to regulate the sport? And actually bringing out the skill set over the boxing matches. You, you see what I'm saying? Like you said today, yeah, but there's unbelievable but skill happening. The problem, okay, well, let's take out the passing. Then. You can't pass. That'll sort of, that's, that sure will bring out stick handling. People are going to be way better stick handling if you just no more passing in the NHL. You're talking about since the inception of the game that fighting has been a part of hockey. It was very, like what Briscoe was saying beforehand. When it was first brought, it was brought to colonial North America in the, in the plains. The American Indians played it, uh, and they in, instead of instead of when somebody got hit in the face and lost 17 teeth, you couldn't call a police officer. So you have to you have to have policemen on your squad that was taking care of stuff physically. So since the game was created, it's a skill that was that, that that's been a part of the game. And now we're just going to take it out like, oh, well, oh, well, yeah. It's, you know what? Football would be a lot more skilled if you just took away the hitting. There'd be a lot more. Let's play flag football. You're going to see some spins. You're going to see some <laughs> ballet dancers out there doing some <laughs> wild stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. So no, I. The I, level I, of difficulty that, 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 that gets raised immensely when you, when, you put, when you put that kind of intimidation factor on your skill players, <laughs> which makes it so much more gratifying when you accomplish something. Yeah. So. All right. Well, I, I honestly like. I don't have a response. Like, I mean, uh, I I don't think no, you're I'm wrong. Passionate about this. Man. Yeah, I don't bad. think I don't think you're wrong. <laughs> but it is interesting because I, I as of somebody who's new to watching the sport, I've never played it before, other than like you know field hockey or whatever in PE class. Sure. Um, sure. But but as as somebody who's new to watching the sport, I'm I'm a new fan of the sport. Um, you know, you don't see the the fighting like you used to. Nope. And and uh but I always you know it's I think slowly it's slowly coming back. It's like you said well, it's cyclical. Yeah, well, like well, I went because think about it, if you put a team full of, if you put a team full of just called the Broad Street bullies in the seventies, right? So yeah. it's and you can see this this the, again, the cyclical, not to be redundant here, but you can see that pattern over like ten year periods. You'll see like this massive resurgence of toughness and these crazy dudes all get put on one team and now they're just smoking guys and then you'll have that for a few years and then all of a sudden the polar opposite will be able to, to, to beat that, that lineup. And now we're looking at basically coming out of the, the era of the best and most dangerous fighters. All, all respect to Probert and Kosher and some of the old-time tough guys that were animals. Right. But you're, now you're seeing such a push one way that it's just like a bunch of guys having fun, smiling, high-fiving across the red line. Oh, hey, buddy, good job, good try. There's millions and millions and millions of dollars at stake. You're going to see some guys, you're going to see some teams get smart and start putting together some of the, and developing some younger players to be animals and with skill. And that's going to make a resurgence, I guarantee it. I'm right. doing it myself with my kids. Well, that, and that's what I was, when I was talking about you being able to put a couple pucks in the net and fight, and you really got demerits for that when you were in, but that's probably the guy that it's going to take as it, yeah. as it changes again and yeah. it reforms back into the, 
And I see it starting to happen. Like the only yep. reason Tampa oh, yeah. Bay Lightning didn't make, uh, they won every game of the season and they get swept the first freaking yeah. round. Yeah, what the hell? Because they couldn't, they had no toughness. There was no. Literally, I, I called it, I called it in January of that year. I said, this team will get lose in the first round of the playoffs. That's This is not playoff hockey that they play. Defense wins championships. Sacrifice wins championships. Offense wins games. That's it. And they win games. They would give. They would score three. Then they would give up four. And then they would score one to tie it. And then they'd win in overtime. And that's how every day. I mean, it was exciting. But that's oh, but they were trying to protect the lead. Uh, nothing pisses me off more than protecting the lead. Tampa, it, no, Tampa running gun. No matter what time of the game, that was their biggest problem. Is they didn't understand what time of the game it was. Right. I wish they would have protected some leads. But in the they tried to they tried to play the same way in the playoffs that they did the regular season, and they got shellacked. Oh, they, it yeah, was, it was embarrassing. Yeah, it was so embarrassing. The entire city. I, was I knew it was going to happen. It, they embarrassed me the way they played in their. I mean, the games that they were winning, they went so they gave up. So many leads in there during the regular season, and then battled back, and then like they would be up three nothing, and then they would be down four three. Then it would be five. Then it would be five four. I mean, it, it was it was such a lack of discipline. Yeah. Um. On from a team from a team defensive point of view, uh, just too much offense. Really what do you think's going to happen now with the uh, with the COVID deal and that now the season's over? And they're they're you know the I feel bad for the guys that don't get their accolades of the trophies. I mean they're going to hand out a few trophies, but um, you know the president's trophy and and the heart and all that stuff. But um, I don't know. I, I have a I have a pretty. I don't know how popular my opinion is on this stuff, so I probably won't. I just think you it's pussy. Actually, I, I just I can't. I, I don't even understand how this can happen in this country. So I'm just I'm going to leave it at that, so I don't piss anybody out any off. Are you talking about just the hockey thing or the whole thing? No, the whole damn thing. I yeah, just, I'm with you. That's like shut down. Yeah. Life. Well, I just. But okay, that's fine. We we won't we won't <laughs> no, push your buttons on that one. Horrible for all of them. But, but yeah, it so is. Wait, so wait. And, so how do you shit. how do you feel about the coronavirus though? That's what I meant. The Kung Fu flu. Yeah. Yeah. We went to the UFC. So one of the guys at Fusion XL. So like it's one of the top one of the top MMA gyms in the world, right? So Jacare Souza, I think he, I think he's fifth or sixth now in the in the, in the UFC. Um, he was tested positive for coronavirus. Mm-hmm. Um, he ended up doing his camp uh, in his house with all of his, you know, a lot of his buddies and, and, and or a lot of his training partners. Uh, he didn't actually come to our gym for, he's been a part of our gym all the time, but since we got locked down, he did all of his camp there, went to the weigh-ins, and they found out he had coronavirus. He's 42 years old, zero, zero signs. Every, he, he's in the best shape of his life. Zero signs, okay? They, I mean, we're talking about all these percentages and stuff like that, and nobody's adding, nobody's adding the numbers of the people that aren't, experiencing symptoms or aren't going to get tested which is a massive massive population right add that yeah. to those percentages and you got such a lower hey i might have had it i had a i had a little cough two months ago i'm having an amazing immune system maybe that was it because that's you know yeah it affects weaker immune systems and older people with resistant conditions i'm not saying it's not it's not horrible but you know you have to be smart i ran my business very smart okay during this whole thing yeah shutting well the things yeah. down and this is ridiculous <laughs> Yeah. Well, you're yeah. you're right again too uh, in that you know uh, even even uh, Governor DeSantis came out uh, the other day when he announced the uh, opening of the bars tomorrow, and he said eighty and he was like of the cases that we have of the fatalities that we have eighty five percent of them are over sixty five. Yeah. yeah, it's it's yeah. it's deadly it, to the elderly. Italy has like the fourth oldest population of any country in the world. And you yeah. wonder why want to know why I got hit so hard, but you know the it's it, again. You, 
everything's dangerous. Driving a car is dangerous. And I, I actually love, I don't like simple analogies to complex issues, but this is a really good one. Why are we allowed to drive? Millions and millions and millions of unsuspecting families, children, kids, this and that have been hit. And I love people's, well, car accidents aren't contagious. And I'm like, you can be affected by a car accident, driving the speed limit, doing what you're supposed to do. And some idiot drunk comes over, blasts you and kills your family. That's unsuspecting. So why are we allowing driving? We should yeah. shut down the country. It's a great point. I mean, I don't understand. It's dangerous. It's life is inherently dangerous when you walk out the door. Yep. You don't have, you know, I don't need the government shutting stuff down for me. So. Yeah, that's a great point. It's a valid point. You know, my wife and I were talking this morning and the CDC is being held now to lies and uh, the percentages are way off, way off. And this is all coming out this week. I have I a family member. I have a family member who 100 percent and this is in England, no, 100 percent died of something else besides COVID. And it's a, a, a second. It's a, a, a room twice removed. But a um, hundred percent, they put uh, COVID-19 on their death certificate. Right. And a hundred percent was not. Now I'm talking about England a million miles away. There, there's a lot of people coming out of the woodworks. It's very, yeah. very tough yeah. to, to understand all of the information that's given to us. Yeah, yeah it is. And so. and they are. there is some inflation of numbers. I believe that as well. I've read a couple of different articles. One of them said that uh, if you were to take the fact that there are – and it kind of alludes back to what you said, Mike. But if you were to take the fact that um, there's a lot of people walking around right now, Dave and I might have gotten, uh, you know, uh, right, exactly. And we've already developed antibodies, but we've never been tested. So if you were to put those in the numbers, the fatality rate would be much lower. Way Uh, lower. Yeah, way lower. Way, way, way lower. I've talked to my my buddy who said I've got a number of doctors that I'm friends with just from training children and stuff like that. And just, you know, with parents and whatnot. And that uh, conversations at length. One of my doctor friends has told me that the hospitals get um, funding for COVID-19. So uh, the hospitals with no COVID-19 cases get extra funding. Yes. So it's in their best interest to add COVID-19 to death certificates and whatnot so that it increases the funding. I'm not saying that every doctor across the world is doing this and they're shitty people, but you got to think that there's some hospitals and some people that are doing this, which may skew some numbers too. I just right. want all the information. That's all. Yeah. I, I think in, things from both sides. I think in 20 years, maybe 30, however long, they're going to look back at this and they're going to have the numbers right. And they're going to be able to actually say what really happened. But right now, because we're in the middle of it and everybody, you know, well, flew off you guys the handle. Made a great point. I think we have a fantastic control group right now. I think we have mm-hmm. a fantastic control group. And that's the people that are out protesting, you know. So, I mean, if it's as dangerous and as contagious and everything that, that it really is, and if it is, and, and every, some people are wrong, so if it is, then we are going to see a massive, massive spike in COVID-19 right. coming up. Because yeah. everyone's out, hanging out, you know, next to each other, holding hands. The violence stuff and the looting stuff, but I, I, I can't, uh, I, you know, obviously I can't understand the, the pain that someone else feels for, for, you know, or a group of people that I'm, I'm, you know, like I can't understand what it's like to be to be black in America and, and how that stuff, you know, plays out. But, um, and I do, I do respect that they've tried to peacefully protest a number of times as well. Hey, how about yeah. if we do this? How about if we take anybody who's listening to this podcast that wants to loot all they got to do is show up to your local hockey rink, put a pair of skates on. <laughs> if you can beat Mikey Scroy in a fight, I'll give you a stereo or a pair of Nike Airs. Yeah, not looting. 
not looting, but maybe go, maybe, maybe make a statement to not your neighbor, to the right neighborhood, to the right places, to the right. People. I'm not saying I'm not inciting looting. I'm not inciting violence. The violence is disgusting. And it's, violence it's gross. Loses yeah. the point on everybody. Yeah. But when you when you peacefully protested a long time and haven't been heard, um, some. I mean, I don't. I'm not saying they the right direction that the right direction is is, is going. Well, they're they're but definitely got to be frustrating. Their their protests are definitely founded. I mean, there's way too many yes. incidents with yes. the uh, the Ahmad Arbery case. Sure. Uh, the George but Floyd case. No, I get yeah, it. I get it. But there. How many videos are we going to see? And then imagine the ones we don't see to for people to start saying. And I have so many friends in the police department too. And I'm not. You know, and and I'm sorry. I really do truly believe there should be stiffer punishments on people that do things of this mm-hmm. nature. And I do think it should be a little harder to be become a police officer and a little, little bit more. Uh, you know, just it's a little too easy, in my opinion. Uh, again, and that's. But that being said, I think there are some fantastic cops out there too. So again, yeah, um, it's a difficult situation, a really, really tough, tough social situation that we're in here. Absolutely, uh, I support the protesters. I don't support the looting or any of that stuff. Fair. But yes, but they, they the yeah. the fact that they, uh, you know, they've, I mean, they've had to deal with. It. I mean, we're talking 400 years ago we ended slavery, and they're still dealing with it. Uh, you know, in 2020, it just it it's awful. I mean, wow, it's, the fact that they're having to put up with this it, it is it is it is something that I support that we need to figure out a way to fix this. I don't know well, what the answer. I is, really but, like that they're going back to the Martin Luther thing. I, I like yeah. I really enjoy listening to people on the radio saying. You know, hey, I, I like what is it called? The black, what are they calling it right now? You black think? Lives Matter. No, black Lives Matter. Yeah, right. and which you know, I think that's great. As long as you follow what Martin Luther King did, you know, he, he went keeping it, it peaceful, keeping you it peaceful. Yeah, he, went, yeah. he had a speech, Fair, and, but you know, the you know, the argument to that is, is that white person murdered him, so yeah, <laughs> and also, uh, yeah, and you said it first, Mike, but I try to, I just want to be open minded, I'm not, saying yeah, right, wrong, left, right. I'm just saying this again, there's a lot of information here. Uh, for me, I've had my eyes open to some of this for a while, but I, I could never, ever understand what 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 someone that's not me, you know, that, that what they're going through and what they've been right. through. So I, I'm right. just trying to listen, yeah. trying to listen a little bit more. You know, uh, I don't know. I, it's it's all it's really messed up, and I, I I don't think there's a quick fix to this, but right. I do think that if you're if you're a, a, a racist if you're a racist and you're a police officer, that this should give you some serious pause. In, in your in your proceedings for the rest of your life. Yeah, I'd job. like to know the rest of the story with that too, because apparently these two guys worked together as security guards. Yeah, which wow. which came out, which yeah, kind of. Who knows? Right. Is that true? I mean, I, I, I don't I've know. Heard a lot of stuff, right? You got to get fact check on this. I've also heard that this guy's been has has tons of write ups for being an aggressive police officer right. against minorities too. So, uh, I, I, again, information is key, but. It's so easy to manipulate information right yeah. now and to, and to lull public into thinking something and putting stuff online. and it, It's really, really easy to do. Mike and I so. actually had a cop a couple weeks ago uh, that was here at the studio that we were talking to, and he was talking about that move. And there, it is a specific move when you have handcuffs on and you're supposed to put your knee next to the guy's neck so he can't mm-hmm. roll out of it. And for sure. which would Not roll up and minutes, jump though. away. Well, but no, no, it wasn't on it. His, his knee never should have been on his neck. That was right, the point exactly. is the weight should have been on his knee and his foot and pushed up against his neck without body weight. Handcuffs, you can put him in a car too. I mean, there's just a million, obviously there's, right. I mean, 
99% of white America thinks that that's messed up, too. With this oh, yeah. oh, I do. Oh, I'm completely oh, with it. This, I, yeah. this guy should hang. Should, yeah. I think he should hang. 100%. Yeah. He, he I, should, I hope I he goes should. away forever, yeah. yeah. That's murder. It's That's murder, man. Yeah. I, I 100% agree with that. Yeah. So, and those other guys are accessories, so... Well, let's okay. Let's shift gears onto a brighter note. Now, you're coaching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. We, we've had our we've had our intense day. segment. Yeah, so I want to get back into the intensity because um, the intensity of becoming a pro athlete and and doing it. You know, Mike, you had to survive it as a kid. You got in your first fight. You didn't even realize you did better than you thought you did. And as you grow with that experience, and and I know when I coach now, I've coached a lot of people to pro level. And the mentality stuff that you're coaching now. Let's talk about what you're doing now and and how it's affecting kids. And I, I know that your business has gone through the roof that you never saw coming. Yeah, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I thought I was going to honestly when I retired, I thought I'd well, mostly only work with pros. Uh, and then I realized that my lack of maturity actually came in handy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I can, <laughs> me too. I relate to. Uh, I can. I can still relate to teenagers, and I can still talk to them like like uh, you know. You know, I can I can communicate with them where it's not it's not like coach or dad is telling me to do something. It's like, hey, this is this guy cares about me, and yeah. and uh, I have a I have a lot of love for for the people that that I work with, and I work with a lot of people. And uh, it started out small. I started out living in a garage, working in a garage outside of my pro career after I broke my neck, yeah. and um, and I started from the bottom, and now. Uh, after no, basically the only place I've ever advertised is on Facebook and just, I'm not even advertising. I'm just putting out what I do and word you know about, what? let's uh, talk about that for a second. Let's talk about breaking your neck because that segues good into this. Uh, and th- that really kind of ended your career, right? Uh, no, the set, well, the second one did the first yeah. one. I was, that was a huge, huge thing for me. Um, cause I came back came back 12 weeks i fought 12 weeks after i broke my neck what happened first, how'd you break your neck the first time what happened i was fighting uh david Kochi, a big old check dude he was six six two sixty something and i hit him and um we were going pretty good there for a bit and i caught him with a good one and he was holding on to my jersey and he fell sort of in front of me and then i tried to hold his weight up and those jerseys are so strong and i took I, the, my neck bared the brunt of the weight like hanging onto a jersey it was like oh. a noose almost um i actually finished the game thank god i didn't get that much ice the rest of the game but i finished that game uh and i had my gear on the so what, did day. you have a crack in one of the cervicals no the, the both both the discs had split where c c what c three four c four five uh five five there's five six five six five oh. six it's five, a good thing you didn't have yeah, a crack in your cervix there's there that was like did you just ask me if i had a crack in my cervix jesus christ <laughs> jesus christ is that like a swollen labia corn <laughs> <laughs> heartilage wow yeah. i used to send kids to the fucking i didn't even catch that <laughs> jesus See, being out of the locker room i'm not a surf anymore <laughs> It's great. Oh what was God, made it so great was not the joke. It was how long it took for him to get it. That was oh that God. was the greatest. <laughs> so something I would have sent a rookie to the training room I know, for, right, right, for a right. few years. Oh, I know that. Tell him it's a swollen cervix. Though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so you you have the first one and then go on to the second one. 
Uh, and then the second one was just the wear and tear. So um, yeah. after my first one, I came back, tried to fight uh, all the top heavyweights in the world, but it wasn't actually the broken neck. I ended up, one of the discs smashed into the, the, the nerve, uh, oh, no. and I lost 60 to 70% of the muscle in my upper right half of my body. It was oh. real fucked up. Um, and I was really, it, it made me unbalanced. During that time, I ended up developing acute tendonitis in my opposite knee, because I couldn't, when I was trying to skate, my body was off balance. Oh yeah, yep. So you're and now, I, and then I built the muscle back. I did some, got some steroids, and tried to try to build my muscle back real quick so I could get back to playing and back to fighting. And I didn't build up my flexibility, so now I got tons of issues with that. But not, I mean, all all stuff I kind of figured was going to happen. Hey, time always wins. T- time's undefeated. Yeah. You know. What? So and I that's when I decided to to start playing a little bit and I decided to be like hey I'm gonna do do the power forward thing and see if I could score some goals and I did uh, and then I went back to fighting and then broke my neck again and then retired right right <laughs> so. but the reason I wanted this, that story to come out was because now you've got so many things that you had to go through uh, you know all the years that I was competing I, I was never. You know, I, I wasn't Parks or, or Darren that was on the top of the podium every single time. You know, if I got the podium, I had to work for it. And I went through yeah. everything wrong I could possibly do to get to that level. So when I started coaching, you know, I was probably 25, 24 when I started coaching full time. But when I would see somebody doing something that I had been through, I'm like, ah, shit, I remember that. I remember going yep. through that hump. And, you know, here's how I can help you. And this is how, you know, I got out of it or a lot of really good athletes don't know how to coach because they've never been through that. And because oh, you went a thousand percent, right? thousand percent. Right. So right. It's the, it's the talented ones that don't know how to coach because they wake up in the morning and they're just awesome. Right. right now, some talented guys work hard, but it's always the guys with a little bit of talent that got to bust their ass because we got to pay attention to the details. We'll, we'll be the better coaches. Right. And that's, and that, like you said, you, I, I started coaching at 25, but I've never left that age because I've been coaching that age all the way through. So I've got, you know, 35 years of experience with specifically yeah. that age. And, yep. Uh, yep. you know, it's, I tell you, as we get older and the stuff that you've been through and the stuff that I've been through, we're the guys that you need to help you get through the, the humps that uh, <laughs> you, you don't see coming. Especially because our generation was so much more, there was so much more conflict and nothing was bubble wrapped. And you kind of, if you learned something, you could, you could learn things the hard way now, not 75, you know, oh, baseline concussion test. You had a little headache today. And, you know, like we're the first generation to get, you know, this is the first generation to get concussions, apparently, the, the kids yeah. today, right? So <laughs> yeah, right. Didn't realize how we should all be dead if you listen to everybody about how you should deal with concussions. And I'm not, downplaying the fact that there are some serious things yeah they were just never that, diagnosed but, they weren't oh, diagnosed the, back the then. overcorrection and the hypervigilance is just sickening it's a safety at all costs this, just, this is america our job is over like overcorrection yeah yeah oh, oh, yeah everything i hate the over the, this is a his, his country loves to overcorrect but that's the uh that's the way i mean it's it's the it's the there's no growth without struggle man like if you're not if you're not being in conflict, if you're not fucking struggling and battling and, and have to, to fight for that inch in front of your nose, you're not getting better. You're not getting better. Or if you, if you have a little bit of that, somebody with a lot of it's going to eat your lunch. That's equally as talented as you. Yeah. So, yeah. If you're not losing, you're never, match. and that's, that's the, the, yeah, they're never left behind and the, everybody gets a trophy. It's, it's killing the growth of sports and, and, 
you know. Or the growth of children, too, because, man, maybe little Bobby's not a football player. Maybe he's going to put in the chess club. You know right. what I mean? And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. But, hey, I got a trophy. I'm good at this. Man, right. you're confusing the shit out of these kids, man. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Mikey, let's talk about um, – we're, we're going to get – we're close. to. I know you got things to do today, and, and, and mm-hmm. uh, you got a lot of things going on. But let sure, people sure. know how they get a hold of you and how um, how they can train with you and, and all. Let's yep. t- talk about what you're doing Absolutely. now. I mean, really, I do most of my stuff on, on Facebook and Instagram and it's Mike Scroy S G R O I. I have a Scroy Contact and Skills dot com website. Um, you know, really, it's uh, you know, obviously Fusion XL, which is uh, by the West Oaks Mall uh, out Winter Garden. Uh, these are all places you could look up very, very easily and contact, um, and even just to follow or whatever. Um, I mean, my my uh, my entire clientele has been built off of word of mouth and, and people just referring me. And it's not uh, necessarily just so. sports specific, correct? It's, it it's, isn't. No, it, it yeah. isn't. I've, I've done I've done stuff with sports. I've done mental toughness training with kids. I've done video stuff with other athletes. I, I mean, there's there's a ton of there's a ton of different services that I offer. So definitely check out Facebook is the best way to at least see see what i'm all about if you want there that's pretty much the only thing i do here is with 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 my family and my work is on facebook so a little bit i just got an instagram too so um yeah that's that's the bulk of 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 you know what i'm doing it's every day i'm always i'm I'm, you're getting to see most of my day every day on facebook uh with my lessons and the things i'm doing with kids and and, and top professionals so and i know you're slammed you were on spitting chiclets not long ago and i and i want and congratulations for that that's huge accolade (laughs) to be on with those guys and uh yeah i wanted to make seven sure. days a week man i don't have any time i'm seven yeah days you're slam and i have a little prodigy kid too i spend all as much time as i can with i, I mean every i i wake up in the morning six o'clock in the morning i don't care if i've had a few beers the night before or a lot of beers the night before right. i'm up at 6 30 7 o'clock every single morning excited to be you know, attacking my day. That's I got, awesome. I, I, I got a great life right now. Maybe That's even awesome. better than when I played. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm real proud of you and watching you grow up and watching <laughs> it from you, the brother. beginning. It's uh, it's <laughs> awesome to see where you are. So, and you got a wedding coming up and where COVID uh, pushed got, it back. I got canceled because of COVID. We yeah. pushed it back to, yeah. to February too. Yeah. That's, that's another great thing going on. Man. Don't tell me you did it on Valentine's day. Oh God, no, no, we, hey, we, we just did it the only day they were open. Every single place is we were supposed to get married in March, and, uh, uh, and it got pushed back to this coming up February because of the backups from COVID. Because everything got canceled, right? To do weddings. No, I I have a friend who had the same thing, and he pushed his to feb- February as well, and they did it on Valentine's Day. So I was like, oh my god, everybody's no, getting married on Valentine's. Day. No. My girl's like uh, my girl's like one of the boys, man. She's a little savage. She wouldn't do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, she, so now it is going to be in February. Now you pushed it back to February. It's, yeah, again. we just found it again last week, Briscoe. Yeah, it was going to be February the twenty sixth, I believe. We just figured out last week all right so i'll be letting you know brother oh you know i'll be there dave you're you're totally you're totally invited dave fucking entertainment buddy yeah yeah, i was already yeah i was already (laughs) i was was gonna say you're totally invited dave it's on february 30th we'll see you (laughs) (laughs) right on right on well mike thanks so much for coming on um check him out on facebook everybody mike scroy uh, and please, he's he's an amazing coach, and he's been through a lot, and he's done some great stuff. Thanks for coming on, Mike. And my pleasure. Thank you, gentlemen. It was really nice getting to know you, man. And uh, I loved everything you had to say about the fighting. I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and just start calling hockey players pussies now. Don't. Don't. So I'm Dave Briscoe, guys. 
Yeah, thank you for, for listening, everybody. And please keep liking us on Facebook and on uh, Instagram. Give us a write-up. We could use a couple write-ups. We haven't had any in a little bit. Uh, like us and, and uh, give us a thumbs up and, and rate us, please. Uh, also, the bonus episodes, don't forget, they're on Patreon. That's starting to grow. we got to pay for Mikey's new computer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's uh, patreon.com forward slash the outside edge. And uh, there's a lot of cool stuff on there. Mike, what do you want to close with, buddy? Uh, follow me, please, on Instagram at Mike on the radio. And, of course, you can check out my comedian page. It's Mike Lee Comedian on Facebook. There you go. Right on. This episode was brought to you by Pull Water Sports. Pull Water Sports is a full-service place up in the Atlanta, Georgia area. You can get them online, and they are offering a 15% discount if you mention the outside edge. Yeah, buddy. So go see Pull Water Sports. Oh, yeah, baby. Thanks, everybody. I'm Dave Briscoe. On behalf of Mike Lee, thanks for listening to The Outside Edge. Mm-hmm.